Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the curious endings of all kinds of things. I'm Sarah. I'm Emily. And today we're interviewing one of my very favorite people in the universe. So I get to have a conversation with two of my favorite people today, Emily and Jesse. So Jesse is a, among other things, a comic book creator. And today we're going to talk about his new comic book, Robo. So hi, Jesse. Hi, good morning. So uh, as Sarah said, I'm Jesse Kepler, and I have a comic book out called Robo that's been published on Kickstarter, and uh, it's also available on a site called Gumroad, and it is available on Amazon as an ebook and through another website called Global Comics. Very cool. So why comic books, Jesse? I've been a comic book fan probably since as as soon as, I, as soon as I could read. My grandmother used to cut the, uh, the comics out of the newspaper and mail them all to me because we didn't get a newspaper as a kid. I was into Calvin and Hobbes. And then maybe when I was seven, I got a comic off of a newsstand in a cafe and it's all downhill from there. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I read comics as a kid. Uh, it's kind of my main reading. I was big into them during the uh, the boom of the 90s when, you know, you had buried covers and the launch of Image Comics back then. I was huge into X-Men when that was a TV series as well. The Batman show, the Spider-Man show, those were all really big drivers keeping me going back to comic books over and over again. And uh, when I was leaving high school, when I was graduating, you know, I would have told you I want to be a writer. And, you know, part of that was I wanted to be a comic book writer. Um, <clears throat> but back then, I thought that you had to be sort of invited into the industry. And so eventually, I just continued on with my career doing tech work, doing system engineering, that sort of thing, and forgot about it. Um, you know, not completely, but it, it was no longer as much on my radar. And then, uh, during the pandemic, I, I needed I needed something new to do, and I thought, okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab at this. I'm gonna do it on my own. I'm gonna self publish it, which is now accessible. And uh, I was originally just doing it for me, but I got into it and decided to hire an artist and and really learn how to do it. And that's that's how I got to be uh, putting Robo on Kickstarter last uh june that's fantastic i love that you're just like i really want to do this so i'm going to that's (laughs) that's awesome that's how everything starts that's how this podcast started almost definitely yeah yeah we were having a conversation in a uh italian restaurant and we're just like you know we could do this (laughs) awesome yeah Yeah. it, it was um it was very freeing because there's so many times, even though that's how everything gets started, there's so many times when you say that to yourself and you don't do it. And I think that was that was almost the case. Like I probably said it to myself there on the couch, said, yeah, I'm gonna do this, yeah, I'm gonna do this. And then 
you know, there may have been a window where if I didn't start working on it, I wouldn't have gotten to it. So in a way, this is probably the only positive thing that I would ever say about the pandemic. Being bored and stuck at home did help this happen. <laughs> well, at least something has come out of it. And I like that it helped you make a dream reality. That's really awesome. So, yeah, I'm very happy about that. So set us up with Robo. Uh, where in the future is Robo? Who is Robo? Where is this timeline? What has happened? Why are we here in your first episode, in your first issue? Sure. Um, so this is, uh, it's actually something that I have deliberately not addressed. But since you asked, I will give you the, the secret. <laughs> um, so when I, so Robo, Robo is a comic character that I came up with as a kid. Uh, I made Robo comics at the table, you know, when I was like 11 years old. And they're, they're six pages. They barely have panels. They're mostly an excuse to draw, to draw robots. Punching <laughs> and back then, I threw it way far into the future, the year 3002, uh, which seemed sufficiently far away and still is. <laughs> and uh, for the comic, I felt like that was slightly unrealistic. So though I have not said Robo is set in the year 3002, it is set quite quite far into the future. It's not something that has been addressed in the comic yet. Yeah. The, the world is that uh, corporations have taken over in place of governments, which is a very standard cyberpunk trope <clears throat> right however in this world they've taken place they've taken the place of governments but they've also uh humanity has seen a world where everything was run by an artificial intelligence sort of a, a paternalistic stewardship by machines and then humans led by a group of self-interested business people overthrew that and, and drove out the machines. And now they've created a world that is in many ways dystopian, but they would tell you that, you know, that they're winning, that they're making the world better because now they have personal freedom. Now they have control over the world. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's kind of, that's the, the paradigm as far as how far into the future uh, I haven't nailed it down for sure yet, but it is okay. far. And the reason is, um, you know, I, I, this is the secret stuff that I haven't told anybody. <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> if I ever get into it, the the AI comes to power because runaway climate change, uh, you know, uh, issues with nuclear weapons and, and those sorts of things have really ruined the world and driven humanity to the brink. And so they turn to the AI as the only possible solution to manage the many crises, which the AI is meant to do and does happily. So a, an indeterminate amount of time passes. That's the part that I haven't nailed down. And then the overthrow and the new world happens after that. So we'll see if I ever find a good reason to say the, the year number, it would you know, it might be 3002, but uh, let's just say several hundred years into the future. 
So it's sufficiently far into the future that we're not going to like next year be like, okay, so where's Robo and the flying cars and the AI that's going to save us all. Well, and that's really (laughs) smart. I just rewatched tank girl yesterday. Mm -hmm. It it starts in 2022. Oh, really? There's like, Oh, in 2022, an asteroid like just destroys the the rain system of the earth and then the rest of the movie takes place 11 years later so it's like that's and it's it's in six months (laughs) (laughs) so 3002 is going to be difficult to uh live to so it's very smart as a choice i wonder in that in that comic i don't remember tank girl is one of my favorites I used to read that all the time. Um, I don't remember if they ever said the year, if that was just a movie thing. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, yes, Jesse, very smart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the the other aspect is, you know, if you go a thousand years into the future, you would expect some pretty serious technology differences. And though there are big tech differences in Robo, it's it's also a story about you know, our problems, like all science fiction, it, you know, it's about issues with social media, about corporate power, about human relationship to work and jobs, um, and our role in society in general, like what does, what does it mean when you say I'm a, I'm a software engineer, or in my case, like when I say some, say to somebody, I'm a software engineer versus I'm a comic book creator you're telling them something, but you're also labeling yourself. And, and Robo is a bit about that. You know, the main character says, I'm a superhero. And his employer says, he's a PR tool. <laughs> so um, to, to go back to the, uh, the timeline thing, I wanted to go far into the future for the same reasons that you were saying was smart about the tank girl thing, but I also didn't want to get too far. And I think that that gap that time when humanity is not in control is basically my tool to explain why aren't all the world's problems fixed. Right. So getting into who Robo is, is Robo a robot? I know the answer to this. I'm just telling, I'm just (laughs) asking for our audience. (laughs) Yeah, Robo is not a robot. He is a man. He wears a cybernetic suit of armor. And his name is Charles Senton, uh, because all comic characters need to have alliterative names. And uh, he is a, he's a naive, impulsive idealist who lucked into a really good job. Um, so I like the, I like to write the story where he kind of screws up a lot. You know, he is he is naive, he is impulsive. And he does things without thinking about them too deeply. And that's a that's a problem. And that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to developing with that character and having him learn that lesson perhaps over and over again and yeah. eventually grow out of it a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, he's lucked into this job. He works for a, a, a prominent corporation in the city that he lives in, New Chicago. And he's got this privilege to to be, as a as a solo person, quite powerful compared to everyone around him. Mm-hmm. But in the structure of the corporate world, quite powerless. 
Yeah. So I, I get a sense in reading them that, so shareholders are a major part of Robo's job and it seems like it's a major part of the corporation. So it seems like the, it's kind of a caste system without being a caste system. Um, the shareholders kind of on top cause they're in co- control of the, of the corporations and then kind of everyone else underneath. Is that true? Absolutely. You, you got it perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because corporations are not really companies and because they don't necessarily have territory, some of them do, you don't know how to track citizenship. And so citizenship within your corporation would be being a shareholder. So if you own shares or if you're granted shares, you get rights that other people don't get. So to be a shareholder of the new Chicago corporation gives you housing, gives you a place to live. Uh, To be a shareholder of of, uh, Sunburst, which creates and owns Robo, uh, you get police services essentially, like you get protection for your your property and for your livelihood. Um, And then there are people who don't have shares and they have no rights. They can be deported without reason. They aren't necessarily guaranteed to be able to get food. They don't have income. So they're really, they're really living rough in this world. Um, and the characters will sometimes refer to those people as draggers to say that they're a drag on society, which uh, is very um similar in in my opinion to our world where if you don't have enough property people think that you are a drag on society Mm -hmm. right i find the draggers fascinating i don't want to give too much stuff away um but i love them and you said that the third issue is going to go more into them i think or you said somewhere in the future (laughs) the third issue will be it's actually it's funny because it, Robo or Charles does not wear the Robo suit for more than a panel in the third issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they spend a lot more time down in the in the bottom layer of New Chicago. So the the way I've conceptualized it with the artist is it's sort of a, a four tiered city. You've got your top tier, your people who own shares, maybe even lots of shares. Your second tier is people who are working in the system, sort of your your middle class or upper middle class people who are they're trying to make it in the world. They're in the rat race, and then this the the third tier down is people who are still in society. They're not kicked out, but they don't have quite as much going on. That would be like you know your garbage men, people who don't have shares, people who uh, are doing gig economy work and then the bottom tier is is meant to be for the machines and in the eyes of the people who run the world it's it's basically the loading docks of the of the world where automated machines move around but that's where the draggers live too because there's nobody to see them and say hey you're out of the city so you you uh, mentioned the gig economy. So in the second issue, there's a it's kind of mentioned in the first issue, but in the second issue, the the gig economy is really disturbing. You kind of go into it, and I just found it 
yeah, I was like, oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> do you want to talk about it a little bit or do you not want to give too much away? Just stay. No, I'd love to talk about it. Okay. I think, uh, I'm glad that it comes across in the issue, but obviously I have so much to say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of the, the ideas that, that really started when I first started working on the comic was um, this, this spin on the gig economy. Yeah. Um, I work in cloud computing where, you know, for those who don't know, cloud computing is basically just renting a part of someone else's computer. You need, you need a, a server for the afternoon or you need to run a, a job in the cloud. You pay for an hour of somebody else's computer or you pay for lots of someone else's computers. So I was thinking about that and I was thinking about gig economies and this world where they're afraid of AI. And the way that the gig economy works in the world of robo is uh, what people call brain gigers, where you have an implant in your brain that lets other people rent processing power in your brain. Oh, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and to make it worse, when you take a job, you don't get to use your brain. The, the implant puts your brain in a box and you know, your consciousness sits there and waits for the job to be done. Um, and so one of, the, one of the things talked about in the second issue is, is how awful that is for people and um, how dehumanizing it can be and how it can even end up killing you if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time when your brain turns off and goes to run some surveillance program for a corporation or something like that. Uh, and to me, it's obviously much more harsh than driving for Uber or Lyft, but for people who depend on money from those jobs, it really does interrupt their lives and it really isn't a very good deal for them. And so those are some of the themes that I was trying to bring from our world into Robo while also exploring uh, a fun, if not creepy, uh, science fiction concept. Definitely creepy. And that goes right into um, what I wanted to ask is, is this a reflection of your own concerns about the future of corporate America, of where America is going? Or, you know, is it just fun? Are you just extrapolating from some fantasy that you had? I mean, is this like a reflection of your concerns? Or is this just fun? It's 100% a reflection of my concerns. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah everything to me yeah, yeah. look at what social like, media and like entertain infotainment already like how much space that takes up in people's brains and decision making processes yeah. so anyway <laughs> it's prescient jesse <laughs> as, as you said emily that's actually a really good call it the attention economy as they like to call it at like game companies or social media companies is like competing for the hours that you can pay attention to media, um, which is also kind of a par it's like a, a parallel to the brain makers is, you know, how much brain time do you have? But yes, 100% corporate power disturbs me greatly in our world. And sometimes I'm writing and I'm like, you know, I kind of hope that th this doesn't get seen very widely because this isn't too far off. And I don't want somebody to say, hey, good idea. Why don't we stop quitting? <laughs> 
And before you know it, you have created the dystopia that you didn't want to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty classic uh, fear of writers, or perhaps, you know, some of the writers who did predict the future would be rolling in their graves. So uh, I know you and I have had this conversation about social media, about how it's hard not to be on social media, especially if you're creators, like all three of us are. Um, But at the same time, you see how detrimental it can be. And I totally understand. I totally have the same concerns. The attention economy is really draining to me as well. I just, I have a really hard time uh, spending time on it because a lot of the time it's just kind of brings me down and makes my head hurt. Um, But it's so necessary if you're a creator anymore, it seems. Definitely. I agree. It's, I was, I was ready to delete all of my social media accounts probably right before I said to myself, I'm going to make a comic book and put it out there. (laughs) Yeah. I use maybe two different kinds of social media and have considered obliterating all of it. So it's, I mean, it's, it's an amazing connectivity tool, but it's also a very effective connectivity tool where people can connect with you that you don't necessarily invite. Yeah. And in a way for ideas to get in that you didn't necessarily invite either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the the metaphor of your gig economy because it's definitely it, when the creators of social media. And I don't know how true this is, but um, I don't know. There's a guy that it's he's relatively famous. He's kind of a really cool guy. He like plays all these instruments. He's an interesting Silicon Valley guy, of course. And so he was talking about how social media was invented to hijack your brain. Like it definitely plays on like attention and dopamine and and getting you to click things. And so I can definitely see where this, your your gig economy and yours has come from. It's, it definitely made me think of it. So I was pretty sure that's where you were going. Plus I know you personally, so I was assuming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh, You may have even sent me that article or video because I've, I've seen the same thing. It's, yeah. It is entirely meant to hijack your your dopamine response. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Without an implant. <laughs> and so you're just saying the next step is implants. And even people have said that. Even like futurists have said, oh, well, yeah, you're going to, we're all going to have implants. We're all going to have chips in our brains. And doesn't, then we can have Google whenever we want. I'm like, oh, God, no. Doesn't Elon <laughs> Musk want to do that, though? He Oh, of course he does. I He's swear focused he, on slaves in space right now. I swear he floated that idea recently. He floats a lot of ideas, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, it's just going to be an enclave of Android people up in space, I think. They're going to leave us all here. <laughs> Being well, in space sucks, so I hope they have a good time. Like, enjoy yourself feeling like garbage all the time. Yeah, I'm not sure it's as awesome as they think it will be. The line that I keep parroting, and and this is partially stolen from the TV show The Expanse, but the line that I've been saying is, slavery is not illegal in space. Oh my God. I just want to go up there. 
Yeah, you're not wrong. And you could do a whole exploration of what happens to uh, a micro society funded by a billionaire in space. That would be really interesting. With implants in their brain. Yeah, totally. (laughs) My uh, chief inspiration for that one has been The Expanse in the last few years. I think it's a really good show that looks at that in a similar way. So I have never, I've I've watched the first episode of The Expanse and I just can't get into it. I would love to be able to watch it. It gets better, doesn't it? I'm assuming y'all like it, so. Yeah, Uh, it does get better. It's, uh, it is a little bit slow, especially in that first season. I would recommend it. It's one of my favorite shows right now. It's very high quality, but yeah, I could see it being hard to get into if you're not Mm -hmm. just like a huge science fiction nerd like me. I no, I love science fiction. <laughs> I am all about the dystopian, where the earth is going, where humanity is going, the possible outcomes. Like, I love all that stuff. But when we get into politics, I kind of like, mm, I kind of right. lose interest really quickly. But sci-fi is very political. It can be. Yeah. It always yeah. is. Okay. I, hope <laughs> I hope you don't get bored of the comics, Sarah, because it is going to be more and more political. <laughs> no, I actually love the comic. You, you're you doing a good job keeping people interested. Um, and I say that, uh, saying that I don't like politics, but to be honest, like one of my favorite favorite books uh, series are the Dune series, and that's so political. <laughs> Very topical, too. Dune is one of my favorites, and... Uh, it's definitely an influence here as well. Mm-hmm. Dune is for my my endorsement of Dune is like Dune taught me about how people communicate without just words because there's so much in Dune about the Bene Gesserit or Bene Gesserit like yes. reading people's motions and the way that mentats like control everything about themselves so that they can't they can be inscrutable. All of that stuff. When I read it as a teenager, I was my mind was blown. I just, I did not think that way until I read that book. Yes. And so now that we're on the subject, uh, what are your influence? You said Dune influences. You said Dune and before you were uh, talking about the comic books as a kid, the various comic books you liked, like X-Men. How about some others? Like name off some great stuff for our audience. (laughs) I mean, I can list a lot of great stuff and, you know, for comics, there are the greats, things like Watchmen. I love uh, Walking Dead and Why the Last Man and Saga and all of those things. Those are great comics and they influence me to want to be a better writer. Mm-hmm. But for the, the world itself, the influences, um, The Expanse is and has been an influence. Uh, Dune, in a way, though less connected. Um, a friend of mine listed off Blade Runner 1984 and RoboCop, which are all influences for me in the mm-hmm. genre and in their portrayal of the world. Um, 1984 kind of especially, which is interesting because it's one of the, the earlier of those. There's uh, Altered Carbon on Oh Netflix. my God, I love Altered Carbon, sorry. <laughs> I love it too. I read the book back in like 2000 mm-hmm. and um, that's a big influence for me as well because of the whole uh the methuselahs the rich people who essentially buy a new life and can live forever yes versus regular people who just get to live a little bit longer um 
you can probably already tell the, the parallels between robo and altered carbon there. You know, um, actually, I can't. I, I did, it didn't even cross my mind. Um, but oh, good. But I'll look then I totally made that up. I'm a genius. <laughs> <laughs> um, I knew definitely Blade Runner had to be in there because the world is definitely reminds me of Blade Runner, where um, the stuff at the bottom of the world uh, is very um, ratty and gross and. It, we're basically where the draggers live. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yes. Definitely Blade Runner esque. Yeah. That's one of the things that I take a little bit of delight about well, when working and, and creating this world. Uh, a lot of cyberpunk stuff kind of exclusively lives in that Blade Runner world. But mm -hmm. I kind of like that there's a shiny, like, Apple Store world that lives on top of that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it, sh it should be like just as dystopian as an Apple Store. I mean, yeah, it totally fits between the Foxconn factories. Yeah. And then the totally. Apple Store built not literally on top, but really truly on top of appalling factory conditions. Emily, you're the genius. I hadn't really made that connection until you just said that. You knew it. You knew it in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> the Foxconn stuff really disturbs me. Um, and, you know, I don't care about my distribution in China, especially now that I'm not working with a, a Chinese-based audience any, or artist anymore. So uh, the shit that's going on with the Uyghurs in Western China, just, it's awful. Yeah. It's very strange. Uh, on a very long term. Uh, behavior. Yep. Yeah, I agree. To go back a little bit to influences, there's one more I wanted to make sure I shouted out. And this one's probably not for everyone, but uh, there's a comic called Cerebus, which is a very long running black and white self-published comic book series. And I also would give some credit to Cerebus as an inspiration, um, partially because Dave Sim, the creator, almost single-handedly created the idea of really self-publishing a comic. People were doing it before that, but he did it and did it for years. He did 300 issues and started a lot of those movements within comics. Um, so it's not a direct issue on, or direct inspiration of the story, but uh, I have some admiration for that ability to stick to it and and get it done dave sim himself i have issues with but uh cerebus as a comic series is still an inspiration so cerebus spelled like your cerebrum c-e-r-e-b-u-s exactly yes okay I mean, you... it's a good comic series for for people to read if they really want to dig into it but it's 300 issues so it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> Can you walk us through your publishing process, Jesse, since you've hit on someone who really sort of trailblazed in terms of self-publishing comics? What do you, yeah. what, where do you go when you want to publish a comic? Where, where do you go when you've got the idea and then go forth? So there are a lot of options. There's a lot of different paths. And the way that I chose is a, is a path that, that I have the privilege of being able to do because 
I have a good job. But um, I'm in a lot of communities and there are other people creating great comics who don't have as many financial resources as I do. So for them, they make pitches to small time publishers and get picked up that way, or they contribute to anthologies and get published that way. Or, you know, you kickstart before it's done and, and pay your artist in that, that manner. But for me, um, I go and find an artist online um, so I've mostly used Reddit, but this last time um, I have used Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, and basically every, every avenue to increase the number of artists that I see. And um, then I basically pay the artist for the work up front and we work through the script and, and uh, get the pages laid out, then penciled, then inked. And then they come to me and I put the lettering on top and format them. And then um, I'll go to Kickstarter and, and run a Kickstarter campaign to, to raise money for the next issue and also for the printing. And that's where you have a, a lot of options. There's a lot of companies that will do printing. I personally use Mixam, other people use Blambot. And I mean, there's hundreds more that will do that. And, uh, Blambot is an awesome company name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're very comic focused. Some of the other ones are just regular printing companies. Mm -hmm. um, and I look I looked at places in China that were cheaper, but then you have to pay the shipping, so it's kind of the same. Um, and then there are one-off places. Uh, Lulu.com will do one one issue or one book for you. Uh, so if you're, if you're really just doing it for yourself and you just like to have a physical copy, that's a way to go. Uh, and then, and then there's more options after that. So for me, I put the book on Gumroad is probably my, my easiest way to get it out there for people. It's just a, it's just a online shop, but, uh, there's Kickstarter. There are things like Comixology, Kindle. Global comics, as I mentioned before, those are ways to get your comic out digitally. And then um, if you're really pushing for it, you can try to get yourself into comic shops. Uh, I did that last fall before COVID got really intense, was basically just driving around all the comic shops in the area and seeing if they would like to buy a couple copies of the book. And I did, I did that at least three stores. Uh, you can go to conventions and sell at a booth, which is something that I would like to do in the coming months. And then there's finally the option again of going back to a publisher saying, hey, I've got this comic series, would you like to, to, to run it? And the, the advantage there would be bigger distribution um, because that can be a difficult beast to ride as, you, as a solo publisher. Awesome, that's involved, impressive work. Yeah, and you've done this boring. twice, and you're aiming to do it what thrice? Oh, I'm aiming to keep doing it. I I really enjoy the the creation process. The rest of it is a necessary evil for me. <laughs> I feel like even if you uh you just don't have any energy for it, I'm gonna be at your house like poking you with a stick. Like, come on, Jesse, I need more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Every writer wants that. Everyone <laughs> would love to have people poking them and being like, hey, can I have more? Unless, you know, you're um, George R.R. R. Martin. He's, he's kind of sick of that. Oh, he's 
produced so much. Give the man a break. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since you mentioned it, you are going on issue three and you have a Kickstarter coming up for that. Do you care to elaborate, talk about that? Where are you in that process? Gee, would I like to talk about my Kickstarter? Yes, of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, we, me and, uh, so I have a new artist for, for issue three and his name is Renzo Podesta and I'm really excited to work with him. He's got just an amazingly diverse portfolio of art styles and his art is very dynamic. And he seems really excited to work in the world, both artistically and, you know, just kind of enjoys the concepts. We actually awesome. share, share a love for a lot of the different uh, influences. And he's, he's actually turned me on to some other things that he thought of. There's a, there's a really artsy Japanese movie called uh, 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 Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, it's, yeah. It's creepy, but... Once, once I watched it, I was like, yeah, this, this totally vibes. So very excited to work with Renzo. And he is, um, he's penciling pages right now. Um, I talked to him last night. He's got about 10 pages penciled. He's going to get me the rest next week to look at. And then he's going to start inking. So by the end of August, we should be done with the comic, um, which means probably right around Labor Day. I'll be launching the third Kickstarter. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to improve my efficiency. So I'm hoping to get three and four done before the end of 2021. Um, and so that means two Kickstarters. They are a little bit stressful for me to run, but uh, I think if I can if I can get a better handle on running the process instead of just chaotically running around like a chicken with my head cut off, it should go a lot smoother. <laughs> awesome. That's very exciting. Yeah. Where does Jesse go? Where can we find you? Where Where is Robo? Where can we find Jesse? Sure. Uh, so the uh, publishing company or imprint that I have created is called Moose Cat Comics. After oh. my um and you can you can follow moose cat comics on twitter that's where i'm the most active but i'm also on instagram and then on facebook it is uh, moose cat comics are strangely not available on facebook so i had to get uh robo comic book facebook.com slash robo comic book or moose cat comics go... wasn't available yeah there's some other moose cat comics out there apparently or who knows why, but that's just Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, got those. Um, and then, uh, as I said before, there's Gumroad, which would be gumroad.com slash moosecatcomics, I believe. Let me make sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gumroad.com slash moosecatcomics. And there you can get a digital copy or a physical copy, which I'll mail out to you and uh, pretty good price uh, $4 per issue. And, um, and then there's my website, moosecatcomics.com. And there you can do, you can sign up for the newsletter. Um, I need to post a little bit more often, but during the Kickstarter campaigns, I post quite a bit. Uh, and that's, that's how you can keep track of what's going on. 
And we'll have all this in the show notes when uh, one of us writes them up. So most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have links on our website and on our anchor and on uh, Twitter, probably. Right. Emily, because Instagram is stupid. about (laughs) links. (laughs) It is fascinating. You cannot link stuff for Instagram. It's just link in bio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They want to keep you in their ecosystem. It's it's right back to that dystopian world of the future. It's they're trying to to keep your brain in their corral. Yes, yes. There's deep deep links now. I've heard um, where, and I don't know how to use this yet. I'm gonna have to learn and watch a YouTube video probably because that's how I learn everything. Um, <laughs> that people that know how to use the the stuff in Instagram, I watch their videos. I'm like, Oh, good to know. Yeah. There's someone that has a podcast entirely about how to leverage Pinterest. It's, it's fascinating that we have social media about effectively executing social media. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. I might need to start listening to that because it is, it's useful too, for those of us who are creators, as Sarah said before, you have to know this stuff as much as I hate it. I, I need to know more. So yeah, totally. Uh, so I just learned last night how to deep link a Spotify podcast episode on your Instagram stories. It was a convoluted process, but I learned it so people can play it directly from their Instagram. Cool. Yeah. So there's all kinds of information out there. You just have to find it. And for, uh, like you said, and I said, and then everyone said for creators (laughs) on social media, it's, you got to learn the tricks. You got to learn little tricksies. So, so more eyes and more dopamine gets, gets into your content. Yeah, even last night I was talking to my friend who was visiting from out of town and his wife does a lot of stuff with wine. So she started a business to promote like learning about wine and therefore growing interest in, in wine. Um, and she was she was running herself ragged trying to do social media while launching this business. And he says, you know, she'll get really stressed because you've got to engage for half an hour and then you make your post and then you engage for half an hour after that to make sure that people keep seeing the post. And it's all of these hoops that you have to jump through basically to feed people into that machine. Yeah, exactly. It's something. It is something. Yeah. I'm just imagining like the alternative though. Uh, just remembering like Craigslist ads and what else did we have back, I mean, back in the days, newspaper all, all about classified ads. Yes. Yep. Classified ads. Oh my goodness. And like having to have a newspaper to know when the movies would be. Yes. So uh, for, so for those of you who are listening in the future and are younger and have no idea what we're talking about. You actually had a physical object that had printed words on it that had people's advertisement and you actually called them on the telephone or answered through the mail. Like, so the postal system actually sent them something. Or showed up in person somewhere and just hoped for the best. Yeah. Hope for the best. Hope you don't get murdered. 
that awful <laughs> pina colada song is about putting personal ads out and meeting someone you you have no idea who you're meeting. <laughs> Great song, by the way. Oh my god, no! <laughs> love it. <laughs> you love that song? I, I love it because it is so corny, and uh, uh, we used to we used to do this thing in the office where you would play bad songs to like have a music war. And yeah. that, was, that was part of my ammunition. And I, I eventually grew to love the song. It is a really weird song. It is appreciably strange. I mean, it's it's about trying to cheat on your on your significant other and ending up with your significant other because you're both just the right amount of awful for each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hell really is other people. Okay. <laughs> I did. I did want to say let's let's not uh, say print is completely dead because I am trying to sell a printed comic book. <laughs> well, it's definitely know, not di- dead. That's different. And, well, and like vinyl is now again a thing, so it's not like this stuff is gone forever. Yes, and I pe- love records. FYI. People are doing zines a lot more too, like actual physical zines mm-hmm. again, because yeah. it's not like it's the first time that people have been doing zines. So. Yeah, and I, I gave credit to Cerebus earlier, but the zine scene was another big thing for me, especially in the 90s, uh, that kind of turned me on to the idea that you could create your own comics. I took a I took a trip to Portland in 1997, and I was just sort of blown away by that. And I also knew some people who were printing their own comics at the, at the coffee shop. Uh, back in the mid '90s as well, those communities—you're talking about how difficult it was in the past. Those were people who were who were real troopers. They would uh, they would just mail you a photocopied copy of their comic, and uh, they had a whole they had it all nailed down before everybody was on the internet. So, big props to the to that scene back in the '90s as well. So, I think in the back of Sassy Magazine. If either of you remember this magazine, is for teenage uh, female uh, identifying people in the 90s. And I think in the back of that, you could like find zines that you wanted to support and mail the money. And then they would mail you basically a photocopy of their zine. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, as far as I remember, this is where like you could look and get all like all these like cool zines, uh, definitely Riot Girl ask um, zines. There's a lot of cool stuff back then. I'm glad it's Tank coming Girl. back. Tank Girl, as we were talking about earlier, may have gotten some boost from that community as well. Like yes, a very zine zine uh, supported uh, character. I think Tank Girl was not in Seventeen. I think it was in Sassy. I I may be misremembering. Um, Gather round, elder millennial grandma. Grandma will tell you about <laughs> <laughs> about the past. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's how I actually uh, found out about Tank Girl is either through Sassy Magazine or Seventeen. I'm gonna say it's Sassy. That sounds more likely. That's that's perfect. We've come full circle. Yes. Yes. So uh, where to find Jesse? Let's repeat it again. Moose Cat Comics on Twitter or Instagram. Moosecatcomics.com. 
uh, facebook.com slash robocomicbook, gumroad.com slash moosecatcomics, mm-hmm. or uh, if you really love your Amazon Kindle, you can find Robo by Jesse Kepler on amazon.com. Oh, fantastic. So you, ha- you can do digital as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's the biggest support for me to go through the website or Gumroad, but if you if you need a Kindle copy, you can get it through Amazon and it, it's available there. At least the first issue is. I need to put the second one up. Cool. Do you guys have anything else to add before I close? Thank you for coming on the show, Jesse. Yes, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, and support indie comics. It's it's tough, but it's always a labor of love and you meet some really great people. Awesome. Awesome. So uh mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. And you can find us on wheredoesitpodcast.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We we have a Pinterest. Where does it podcast? Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks.